From the team at Splash, I'm Billy Bonson, and this is True Stories of Field Marketing, our podcast where we dive deep into the world of field marketing. You get the inside scoop from the best of the best in the industry, discussing the lessons they've learned, event strategies that work, and their personal secrets to success. Welcome back to True Stories of Field Marketing. On this episode, we talked to Risa Peterson, the Senior Director, Head of Field Marketing, North America at ThoughtSpot. Recently, Risa was kind enough to put aside an hour of her time and chat with us about her field marketing journey, from her time as an individual contributor at Nibble Storage to the Senior Lead Now at ThoughtSpot. We also dived into her world leading into the COVID-19 pandemic, including her personal experiences on the day everything shut down. Like with all things COVID-related this past 20 months, she has a fascinating story to tell about a recent hybrid event that, well, wasn't. You won't want this that story. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of True Stories of Field Marketing. Welcome to another episode of True Stories of Field Marketing. I'm joined today by our guest, Risa Peterson, who is the Senior Director, Head of Field Marketing North America at ThoughtSpot. Risa, how are you doing today? I am well, Billy. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for taking the time out and joining us on uh, True Stories of Field Marketing. We have a wide range of topics to, to get to today. Some I think will be very fascinating for our audience to hear about. But before we, we dive into that, I'd love to for the audience to hear a little about yourself, who you are, where you're at, what, what ThoughtSpot does, how you landed in field marketing. I guess kind of give us the, the, the Risa story, if you will. Yeah, I would love to. So obviously, Risa Peterson, I work for ThoughtSpot and ThoughtSpot is a search and AI driven analytics product or platform for organizations to really bring analytics to the front end of their business. So helping people build the modern data stack for the front end and bringing a consumer analytics experience to not only their partners, their employees, but also their customers. And we do that through search and AI, as well as embedding analytics into data apps. And I run our field marketing team in North America. I've been in field marketing for roughly uh, six years now. And in marketing in general for almost 15 years now, started a small channel partner selling managed services, IT, and transitioned to more of the Silicon Valley type uh, vendor back in 2015 and have kind of been running field marketing programs since then. Awesome. How, um, how large is the, the team at, at ThoughtSpot, the team that you're leading in North America? Our North America field marketing team is five people. And we also have partners and uh, teams running field marketing globally in EMEA and APJ as well. Awesome. So let's, I want to dive a little bit back into your background real quick if, before we get into some other topics here. So you, you've been, I guess you said you've been in the B2B marketing space for roughly 15 years. I think you said something like that. Yep. Just a little shy. The last six have been in field marketing, if I got that correctly. How did you land in field marketing? It is a very specific functional area inside of a marketing organization. So I'm curious to, to know how you wound up becoming a, you know, a quote unquote field marketer. Yeah, it is a very unique and kind of niche marketing discipline. But when I was working for a channel partner, I worked very closely actually with the marketing team at a vendor. And because I handled all the, of our vendor relationships as well as the marketing at that partner side. And the person that I worked with was actually their field marketing team that kind of handled, handled our 
vendor relationship on, on that side as well. And that's how I first got introduced to it. So we would work on campaigns together, uh, go-to-market activities, events, things like that. And eventually that relationship just kind of blossomed to um, me moving actually over to their team. It's awesome. Do you, I'm going to assume you love it. What's the, um, is that, is that a fair assumption? I, I, I do. <laughs> I love field marketing. I definitely have a heart and a passion for it. Just in case your boss hears this and she's like, no, I hate it. No. <laughs> um, uh, what's the, what's the one thing that you, you absolutely love about, about the job and the role of, of being a field marketer or a field marketing leader? I think the diversity of what we get to do is what brings me to work every day. So I get to work, we're kind of the intermediary from sales and marketing to CS to our product marketing teams. And we get to kind of bring everything together and bring it out to the field. And it it's sort of like the the front end of everything that we do. And it it's seen, it's such an important piece of our pipeline generation process here, specifically at ThoughtSpot, but in most organizations. Yeah, it's funny you say that. So we were at an offsite not too long ago here at Splash, and you know I'm I'm, I'm relatively new to the company, so they were asking me about my experiences, how I would define field marketing, and I, I said you know a, a chief advocate and liaison from the the field side, field being I would say really the revenue side of the house, which is sales, CS, and solutions consulting, as well as partners and others to. Our corporate marketing team almost acting as that conduit back, but the the one word that uh, somebody used that I loved was diplomat. <laughs> and, and I think we'll, we'll get into some stories in a little bit about you know how good your diplomacy is. But I think that's a really interesting way to put it: is you, you kind of serve as a diplomat between the marketing organization and then what I would define as the the, the revenue organization, which is again sales, success, partnerships. Uh, solutions consultant, etc. So I thought that it's was so a, true, isn't it? Right, and I, you kind of touched upon that uh, as well, using a different word. But it's it's just a it's a very unique role inside the organization, which it kind of brings me to my my next question. I, I love asking this of, of everybody because I think everybody has. I probably have a different answer than you, but I think we all have a probably a central theme there. And 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 in your opinion, what are the the skills or talents or experiences, I guess, that are essential to being successful in field marketing? Oh, that's such a good question. And we could go so many different ways. But honestly, the the big piece for me when I'm looking for field marketers to work with and ones that I see are successful is that they're detail-oriented, they're flexible, and they are willing to try new things. So you can have a wealth of marketing experience as a whole. And obviously, that's kind of a, a given. But when you are wanting to actually drive activities and make it happen. And like you said, be a diplomat and actually make these programs successful. You really do need kind of a skill set of being that diplomat, being creative, having fun with the projects, and actually just going and getting it done. Yeah, it's... it's I, I, you know, I think I we all use different terminology, but I think that's that was what my point was earlier was you come back to the same theme. It, it's I, I think the I, I'm trying to boil it down to to one theme, and, and I keep coming back to flexibility. I think is probably the, the the biggest one, and I think that's there's there's offshoots of that, which I think is creativity. I think is resiliency. I think is communications. You have to be able to kind of. Pivot on the dime. We're going to get into that in a second, specifically about um, COVID nineteen and, and the pivot from there. But I think the ability to just 
kind of be able to adapt and morph at a, at a moment's notice and to uh, appeal to a bunch of different uh, function areas that you're serving, right? Whether it's sales or success or it's solutions consultants or partners or it's working alongside your counterparts in marketing, you have to be almost a chameleon in many respects and be able to, I keep saying the word, but being flexible, I think is probably the, 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 the greatest characteristic of a field market, at least in my opinion. It's so true. I'm glad you hit upon that. Um, I don't know how many followers you have on LinkedIn. I should have looked that up before we started chatting. But I think for anybody that does follow you on LinkedIn knows how passionate you are about you know personal and professional development. So what is what are some of the things or what is something in that realm that you've been thinking about really recently, specifically as it re- reta- uh, pertains excuse me, to personal professional development? It's a really good question. When I look at personal and professional development, I always like to look at the individual. So my story is going to be different from your story, Billy. And that's something that I'm always advising when I'm coaching my team or mentoring others outside my organization is that we're all going to have a different path. We're all going to have a different... We, we have different goals and different ideas of what success looks like. Don't be tied to what one idea of success is and be open to learning and trying new things and don't put yourself in a box. That's kind of what has been on my mind lately. Yeah, I love that. And again, it it just goes back to this past 8, 20 months, I think. You know, I think, uh, we'll, we'll, again, we're, I keep saying we're going to get into it, but we're definitely going to get into it, I promise. But if you were inflexible or you were looking for individuals that just could do one or two things and weren't able to adapt or think differently the past 20 months. And I think going beyond that, right? I think coming out of this for sure. Boy, I don't I don't know if that's going to be good for your career development. I, you got to be able to think outside the box. But I think you also have to, as, as leaders, right? I think you also have to consider other experiences to what you mentioned, other experiences to building out a team, right? Not, not everybody's going to have the, the, the growth or the trajectory like, like you or I had or anybody had for that matter. They're going to have their you said it right their own unique stories so it's finding i think the individuals going back to what you said is sort of pertains to skills and talents that are um that are just right fits for for a field marketer and, and they're again it's a, such a unique position such a unique audience that we service so yeah i, I that's uh I, I really appreciate that answer the the teams that you've been leading i i believe you've been have you been leading teams remotely now for for almost 15 years is that accurate no, I've I've been leading remote teams for about four to five years. Four now. to five so years. Oh, I've, I've been an in, in individual contributor for for most of my career, and just recently at Thoughtspot, been leading teams, and it's been a very fun experience. I've personally worked remote though for almost four, twelve years. Got it. My my span of my career has generally been remote. Okay. Well, it actually brings me to this question. So you've been you've been leading teams remotely, correct? For I think you said four to five years, and I'm curious to get your your thoughts on this. So two, I guess a two prong question. One is you obviously knew how to manage remote teams prior to this pandemic starting. Were there individuals inside your organization? And I'm not sure if ThoughtSpot was was remote first or they had centralized office locations, but were there um, either individuals inside of ThoughtSpot or outside the organization that came to you and said, "Like, hey, I've I've never, <laughs> I've never managed a team remotely. Everybody that that's reported to me has been in the office or in or in a centralized location. So, did you have did you have anybody that came up to you and asked you for your advice or wisdom on how to manage teams remotely? Not 
particularly, but what I will say is that this entire environment is completely different from where I was working remote or managing teams remotely previous to the pandemic because we were still able to get together. We were still able to travel on a biweekly or monthly basis and actually meet up with the team. So the dynamic of everyone being 100% remote was, I think, new for mostly everyone. And not being able to be physically present with your team is difficult. It really is. And it it does kind of present a completely new challenge. And how do you motivate? How do you encourage? How do you keep people focused on what their North Star is for the organization and their role when they're you're physically alone most of the time? And as much as we love Zoom... <laughs> That's kind of a joke. Uh, as much as as much as technology is great in, in order to like bring people together, there really is nothing that can replace being physically present with one another. Yes, absolutely. Nobody. We're obviously this will be consumed in audio format, but we're on video right now. When you said, uh, "As much as you love Zoom," I kind of <laughs> rolled my eyes and shook my head. I knew you were joking, but it's just yeah. They, I you know. Like I said, we had an offsite not too not too long ago, and you can't you can't replicate that. You cannot replicate that over whether it's Zoom or WebEx or fill in the blank, whatever that platform is. You can't replicate it in a virtual environment. There's there's something to be said about getting together in person, and not only having, I guess, knowledge shares or best practice sessions or, or what have you, just you know, a general offsite where you're going through different presentations, but Building that team camaraderie is just, I think, so, so, so critical, especially for, you know, individuals like, I, I would say individuals like myself in field marketing and yourself in field marketing, where we're working with so many different uh, functionaries. But I think that's probably true across the org, right? Everybody kind of works with each other to get things done, typically work in teams or in cross-functional teams. And, you know, you build relationships over Zoom to a degree, but man, there's there's really nothing like being able to kind of go out and and talk and chat with your your peers and colleagues outside of the quote unquote office setting and and not ha- you know not talking work maybe just getting to know that person so yeah nothing really replicates that and I, we were fortunate to do it last week have you have you have you had a chance to to get together with your team since the pandemic started we did we had an amazing offsite back in June and just recently met up with our core marketing team as well in kind of a hybrid format, but some of us were able to get together. And it's just being able to have everyone in the room. And even if you're talking over one another, it's the side conversations. It's it's the things that aren't about being in a room or it's the things about being in a room together that there's just something that you cannot replicate when you're digitally connecting. Yeah. It's funny too, because I, I noticed it at my offsite. I'm curious to, to see if you noticed it too, but I, you kind of even notice relationships being built and established that probably would not happen in a virtual setting because you likely do not work with that person that much in a virtual. It's so true. It's, yep. it's so, and eventually you will work with that person. So it's and it happens. It happened organically at ours. I'm assuming it happened organically at yours, but you can just see the little relationships starting to bud and starting to build. And you're like, oh, that's 
that's that wouldn't happen over Zoom, <laughs> or it wouldn't happen in a you know a virtual icebreaker session. It's just it's just not you know you kind of plug into a meeting for thirty minutes and then you hop right off, right? But when you're in person, you're kind of with them most of the time. So yeah, it's just I'm not advocating for a return to office culture. I think that that's probably at least in my opinion, again, my opinion only. Um, that's probably the days gone by. But I you know trying to replace offsites or team gatherings or team building events with virtual ones i i yeah i think we're you're selling yourself short if you're if you're just thinking that's the way to go forward i agree and i i think that there's a place for it like when we are not able to get together there's absolutely a place for it but again going back to you just cannot replace that physical presence with your team Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about about COVID. I have some actually very specific questions about that. But before we get into that, the the, the podcast is called True Stories of Field Marketing. So I'd, I'd love to share or have you share a a story. I mean, we'll call it True Story Time. So are there any... And I'll kind of keep it a blank canvas, but I'll, I'll queue up here and you can take this any way you want. But any standout uh, field marketing stories that you'd like to share, they can be... Funny. <laughs> I guess they could be sad. I we might not want to go with sad, but they could be funny. They can be uh, ridiculous. They can be real. Um, they can be triumphant. Feel free to share one with the audience, whether it's recent or in, in past times, that is just too good to not uh, share with a with a larger crowd. Well, being in field marketing, I'm sure you know we deal with a lot of different variables when it comes to running campaigns or activities, and one that actually came to mind was during the pandemic, we did a fully virtual event that was actually pre-recorded because you know you want to mitigate risk as much as possible <laughs> when you are doing a, a live event. So we tried to mitigate risk as much as possible. And our production company that we worked with, unfortunately, in the middle of one of our guest keynotes, completely switched the stream and it went to some totally different presentation (laughs) during the live broadcast, even though we tried to practice and go through everything as much as possible. It just happens. And I, and I think those real stories, everybody has them. Uh, Of course. Yeah. You're shaking your head like, Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine, but we've all been there. I think over this last year, we've all been there and it's just, you just kind of have to roll with it and, Pick up the pieces and get get on where you left off. I, I you know, I'm shaking my head because I'm actually thinking of one that was pre-pandemic, not technical related. I don't mind sharing this now because it's been a few years, but <laughs> we were I was running a small user conference for about maybe 150, 200 people. And we were in Montreal. Um, and we were doing a kind of a I don't know, it, I don't know if it was our last night there. I think, yeah, technically it was our last night there. And we were running a dinner event at a really nice restaurant right right near the the hotel. And I had gone to this restaurant two or three, maybe even four times just to do site checks, have conversation, taste the whole thing, taste testing, kind of all the logistical stuff, except for one thing, which I'll get to in a second, that I did when I when I went there. Um, so on the day of the conference, it was in mid-June in, in Montreal and it was hot. It was super hot. And we, we get to the restaurant, I'm like, man, it's really, it's like extremely hot here. What's, what's going on? And so I talked to the manager I've been, you know, conversing with for 
months now about like, hey, what's what's the deal with the temperature? Like, what's going on with like the fans and the AC? And it's like, yeah, um, about that. We can't control the AC in here. In fact, it's controlled by the office building that we're located in. And we have no control of the thermostat. And after hours, I guess they kind of turn it down or turn it, whatever, turn it down uh, to, you know, conserve energy and all that good stuff. So I'm like, wait, what do you mean? You can't, you can't control the AC in your restaurant. It's the summertime. She's like, no, we, we can't. <laughs> and I, and we just like, we were watching people at this dinner, just like start to drop off. And I'm like, you know, it, so I'm sweating because I'm hot, but now I'm sweating because like my nerves are getting to me. Oh, and I, no. and, and, I, and I, and it's like, it's such a weird question to ask a, a, a place like, Hey, can you control your own? air system like heat and cooling and i would have never thought to ask that prior to but it's now something i swear is it's something i ask <laughs> each well at least it, before the pandemic times each vendor like hey you know most in a restaurant or a hotel like hey can we have like a thermostat here we can control and stuff like that because i had this experience and, and i remember being like this is this is insane that you cannot. And it was like, it was the middle of June. Like this restaurant's oh open gosh. throughout the summer. It's, it's hot up there. Like it is in the entire country or entire North America, I should say. And they could not control the AC. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work for us right now. I mean, we, it's 90 degrees. We're going to need to do something about this. So it's, we all have those. I, I, I call them, they're, they're horror stories, but they're, they're, like you laughed, they're humorous to look back on because it's like it's the the theater of the absurd in so many cases. You had a stream switch off in the middle of an event that you probably pressure tested a hundred times, yeah. And they, you know, and then I had an event in the middle of summer and they couldn't control the AC, so or they couldn't turn on the AC. So yeah, that was awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. So quickly, let's let's talk a little about about COVID and I, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about. I, I actually want to focus a lot of our conversation on the pre and day of. And when I say pre and day of, I want to talk about like the two or three weeks before you were told plans are changing and this is this is real. And then I want you to maybe talk a little bit about the day of. So I guess we'll put us back into February of 2020. And if you can kind of take us through from that time frame through I guess the day or week they told you like, hey, you need to Need to scrap all your in-person events and your plans. We need to we need to change things up. If if you don't mind us kind of walking through uh, that two, three, four week process and what that looked like for you. Absolutely. Well, we had an amazing February because our team was actually together for sales kickoff. I, I think I got home Valentine's Day, so February fourteenth, and I remember late February we had an event a Minnesota wild game. I'm from Minnesota hockey game, you know, hockey is a big thing in our state. So we had a corporate event at a Minnesota wild game. And I strictly remember starting to see the, the hand sanitizing stations and the different things that are changing for these large scale events and thinking, Oh, you know, it's a little weird, but we're just being cautious and the next week, we had one of our roadshow events or a, a, a roadshow that we called Thought Leaders planned for just outside of Washington, which was the city that was kind of like the hotbed for the start of the pandemic in the United States. And over, I think, 
from Friday to Monday, we were planning, like, are we going to do this? Or are we going to cancel this? And we decided over the weekend, like, hey, we, we actually need to cancel this event. I don't, I don't think that we can host this, like the city is locking down, we need to make some major changes. And it was sort of at that point that we as an entire organization as and as a team had to like sit back and say, there's some changes that are going to happen over the next few months here. We need to start thinking about it and canceling our events and contracts and thinking about virtual. And uh, thankfully, we already had some other campaigns already kind of running from a marketing perspective that we were easily able to transition everything to virtual. But uh, those, those first few months were definitely a bit of a shock and just sort of figure it out. You know, it's funny. I had a, I had a, almost a similar story where I was previously dispatched. I was at PagerDuty and we had gotten back. I had touched down with my boss at JFK at, at probably, I think it was late at night or maybe it was actually in the middle of the afternoon. I forget where we landed. I think it was actually late at night on a Friday, late, late February, coming back from sales kickoff. It was a really fun event. Obviously, got to see the entire sales team, my, my fellow field marketers as well. We landed and I'm starting to look around the airport. People have masks on. I'm thinking, hmm, that's, that seems kind of presumptuous right now and kind of following this thing through. And then the, the next week, we had a, a regional conference, or I think it's actually a national conference that we were sponsoring, but it was down in, in Miami. And I had like a solution consultant and maybe I think it was maybe one or two solutions consultant and maybe a, a rep, a sales rep that was going down there to cover and I think they got there on like a Friday and the conference started on a Monday. And similar to your story, I think on Saturday or Sunday, they canceled the entire thing. Like, we cannot do this conference in, in good faith. And they're like, what do I do? I'm like, come home. <laughs> I'm not sure what to tell you. It's time to come home. This conference is not happening. And then sure enough, that was like the first domino to fall. And then I think by whenever that Wednesday or Thursday was that, when everything hit the fan, when you know everybody, the, the the sports leagues shut down, the NCAA stopped the tournament. There was the presidential address at night. That Wednesday or Thursday, I think it was a Wednesday night, maybe even a Thursday. That was it. Like the the, the company had it, it was it felt weirdly coordinated, but I'm not sure if it was. But that Wednesday, like early, I want to say late morning, early afternoon, they sent out like a company wide email. Things are now halted, no travel, no this, no that, no events. And then our plans changed quite literally on a dime. To, to your point, we had other campaigns running out there that were not, you know, reliant upon, you know, in-person events or experiences. But we we literally had, you know, a, a litany of, of in-person events planned. And then it was just like, nope, fold it up, figure out something new. And so we we quite literally, I think within the span of two or three weeks, started to put together a, a virtual events and experiences calendar for at least the first half of of 2020. So it's it was kind of crazy. It's, I, I'm asking, I asked you that question because I'm, I'm, I find it, I, it's not humorous, I guess it's not the right word, but it's it's interesting to see how many stories are like that, where just all of a sudden, like the light switch and it's like, yeah, we're, we're now pivoting completely. Well, and, so, and we hope to get back to fully in person at some point but even today we're we're still pivoting and it it goes back to that flexibility like who would have thought that another one of our large conferences that was planning to be in person is now going virtual again 
almost 18 months later than all of this started. So it's just kind of, you got to roll with the punches, like I said. Yep. We're going to, we're going to definitely tell that story in a second. One last question before we, we, we hop to that story. Cause I am, uh, <laughs> people have been telling me around the, around our virtual office, not our physical office about that. I'm like, Oh my, that is a, Ooh, that's a tough pill to swallow. And I, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the floor to tell that story, but in a second, Yes. What are the ways you know um, COVID intersected with your career and field of work? You know, how did things, personally speaking, how did things change for you? Well, obviously, it. I saw it. Yes, it was kind of a bummer to have all of these amazing plans completely fall to the wayside. But in another sense, it was a complete opportunity for our team to drive some new initiatives and to learn new ways to market to our audience and work with our sales teams. So our teams came up with some very creative programs. We worked more closely with our digital marketing team. We actually gained a lot of new skills when it comes to marketing, which is, I think, one of the biggest positives out of this because we're learning so much more on how to be better marketers because of this pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I... 100% 100% concur with you. In fact, I had the, I personally had the same experience and I saw others have the same experience as well because, you know, many times I think we get, I will say unfairly grouped as event planners and as uh, event marketers. And what field does is events. Now that is true to a degree. We do, we do, you know, regional events and we coordinate and support um, national conferences and trade shows and all that good stuff. But there's supposed to be more to the role than that. And you're really designed. As, a, as an organization to drive pipeline, just like your team is. Well, I had the same exact experience at PagerDuty. I know others did too across, uh, not just PagerDuty, but across other companies and talking to, to that team. They, they started to do things that they had never done before or things that were being owned by other functional areas and just based upon bandwidth and, and skill set, they started to kind of dip their toes in. So it's... it. Let me just say this. There's, there's, there's very, very little positive that came out of the pandemic. Very, very little positive. I want to make sure that's very, very clear here. From a professional standpoint, the, the small sliver of positivity is that I think as a field marker and as, as you just attested to, your skill set grew a little bit, right? You Absolutely. kind of be able to expand and do different things. But 18 months later, we're still here and, and I, I'm, I'm not going to delay it anymore. You, you have to tell this story. Um, cause I, I, I heard it, but I, I think it's just, Talk about resiliency. So, talk about the you. You were supposed to host your our sales up. kickoff. Yeah, our sales right. kickoff, which is yeah. supposed to be like a. I guess it's supposed to be a hybrid event. Is that correct? It was. Uh, given we have a global sales team, we knew that some of our sales team members could not travel into country because there were still restrictions. However, yeah. within the United States and some other countries, those borders were open. So. We were planning to host roughly 250 people in Las Vegas okay. the first week of August. Yep. So first ever, you mean, I don't know if it's your first ever, but it's a, it's a, it's a hybrid event. You have people in the in country coming. You have some others that are able to come come in. But obviously, the best laid plans of that. And, and go ahead, take the story from here. Yeah. So, I mean, we had been planning this since February, deciding, okay, are are we going to risk it? Are we going to plan an in-person event, invest in this for our team? And it was decided company-wide that um, we surveyed the team, asked their comfort level, what kind of safety measures do we want to put in place? And everyone was resoundingly optimistic that 
this is something that we wanted to do. Uh, we wanted to get the teams together, especially as we talked about being physically together is just so important. So our fiscal year recently changed. So it, it was an opportunity for us to do it the first week of August. We literally had everything planned. Flights were booked. Hotel was booked. And as I'm sure you're aware, the the Delta variant was raging rampantly in Las Vegas. And it was definitely a hotbed at the beginning of August or late July. So I remember Katie, who I was working on this event with, asked me on Tuesday, the week before, like, what are, what are the chances that this is going to get canceled? And I'm thinking, you know, there's no way that the hotel is going to cancel this. Everything is still open here. So I'm not too worried about that. The only way that we would cancel is if we as an organization decide to not move forward with it. So I got a call Thursday before the event. I'm planning to go to Las Vegas literally within 36 hours to start setting everything up and um, get a call from our, our leaders. And the decision had been made to switch to fully virtual, which was a decision that it's not an easy one to make because we know the benefits of getting the team together. But ultimately, our leaders, which I agree with, decide that family comes first. And we did not want to put any families at risk for spreading the the Delta variant. So (laughs) we had to completely transition everything um, to virtual that Thursday afternoon is kind of when we started for the event that started at 7.30 a.m. Pacific time on Monday morning. So spent the weekend uh, working with a new production company, transitioning our speakers to a new virtual schedule, figuring out uh, how to engage the platform, transition all of our attendees to the virtual platform, um, how to engage people virtually, because we were going to be doing hybrid from the stage in Las Vegas. So we were the entire presentation was going to be different as well. So it was certainly a challenge, but one that um, when you when you bring the right people together, uh, anything great can happen. So we pulled it off and it was fantastic. And uh, I, I told our CMO, please don't ever ask me to do that again. <laughs> so just, just to summarize, just so, which was, I mean, incredible, right? But you pulled off a, you, you turned a hybrid event into a virtual event within 72 hours. Is that accurate to say or roughly accurate that to is, say? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Over the course of a weekend, by the way, over the course yes. of Saturday and Sunday. So you know, there's obviously varying degrees of engagement <laughs> on the weekends, I think. I think it's safe to say, but that is a tip of the cat. I have to tip the cat because that is absolutely, it's incredible. It really, I mean, but it's kind of like, it's incredible and don't, it's unbelievable. It's almost to a degree kind of not shocking because of what this past year has been like, a year and a half, exactly. been like, where you've had to pivot. Keep going back to the same word. Just give me the, the, the I think we're going to call this episode the flexibility episode, but <laughs> right. Um, but having the ability to be to be that flexible and resilient in that condensed of a time frame is just a true testament to your skill set, your team skill set, and I think the organization as well. Because it, it, that is not that is not easy. Uh, like I know people will be like, that. Th- th- I guess anybody that's listening to this podcast is likely a fielder event marketer. But if you if you're not and you're hearing this story. 
trust us when when I say that is not an easy assignment because it's not just like okay now we're going to log on to Zoom and we're going to have a sales kickoff. Risa laid out the entire like how this entire event was going to change. So kudos to you and the team because that is that is uh, incredible. I do want to talk a little about the hybrid experience in general. So I think the the industry when I say the industry I mean like the the field marketing and, and event industry has kind of latched on to the idea of of hybrid events. But things are still kind of un- unpredictable now. Do you? Where do you kind of see hybrid events in the near future, and then into the kind of long term? Is that going to be a part of your organizations and your team strategy moving forward? Absolutely, hybrid events. I I think for more of our large scale, when we are focused more on like our user conferences or events that are going to be more focused on different personas that you're bringing some people together. But if those that can't be there obviously want to tune in, we want them to be able to participate. And I can see our user conference, which is planned to be live next year in May. I see that as being a fully hybrid experience where we will have some people live at the event in the conference rooms, watching it on stage, but then some interacting virtually. Yep. I absolutely concur. And in fact, I see it happening already. And, and I just saw uh, the other day, and, I'm, and so forgive me, people that are listening, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to get all these details right, but I just saw the other day that Dreamforce, which obviously is probably you know one of, if not the one of the biggest shows, uh, trade show conferences in, in the world, they are going to a, I guess I would define it as a quasi-hybrid approach. So they'll have a select number of individuals that they're inviting out to San Francisco to participate in the in the live version of the event. But what they I think they've started to do or are rolling out, and I'm not sure if this is uh, a one-time thing or this is something that they're going to commodify and utilize beyond just this year of Dreamforce, is they have a platform that they're rolling out called Salesforce Plus. So it's a... Yeah. I guess it's like a... I don't know if you saw it. It's like a streaming platform. The Netflix. For the business. Netflix for business. Yes, I saw that earlier today, which is so... It's just it's very interesting because I do think that is the way of the future. I do think you'll have people getting together for large conferences. But I do think in many respects that they're going to be hybrid in nature moving forward, at least for the foreseeable future. I don't know if that's the next year or two years or five years, but I definitely think that is the way forward because... I think there is. I think there's some scalability aspects that that make it that make it appealing, but I think it's also um, probably more importantly, probably a comfortability and a safety aspect as well. You're able to ensure that you're providing a you know a safe, inclusive environment for everybody, and it's it's interesting that that is something that's being adopted now. And I, to your point, I think it's going to be absolutely something that that companies will be using for specifically. I think for you know user conference, but I can see that you know taking the form of other shapes. Where you're, again, to your point, you're bringing either. You know, different personas in, or the same persona across different regions together for a specific event. So it's uh, it's it's interesting that that is a thing. I don't know if I thought that at the beginning of this because I I had a I had a theory that people definitely want to get back to doing in person events again, which I still think is true. But I think when you're at these these large scale conferences and it's a huge gathering of just sheer population size, I think there is probably some. I don't know. For, I guess I'm going to use the word apprehension. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but there's probably some apprehension to to gather that many people together at, at this stage. So the hybrid option is probably the, the best option. Well, and to be fair, Billy, I actually think 
events in the past were hybrid to a point, it, mm-hmm. but it was mostly viewing on demand after the fact. Correct. And and what this pandemic has a, another kind of silver lining is it's really accelerated the way that we're presenting our content. We realize that you can have interaction virtually and have great interaction and there are new platforms that are coming out that are allowing that. So you can do a hybrid event that makes it more impactful for those that are viewing virtually. Yep. And so to that point, any any best practices that you are adopting or will be adopting for hybrid events, any tips or secrets or uh, any tips, tricks, secrets of success that you'd want to share? I am all for the live interaction. So the chat window is always something that we focus on and try to get the conversation going almost like the side conversation. We always have a chat moderator in there that is focused on um, driving that conversation, bringing in tidbits from the speaker and getting people interacting in there, as well as bringing our sales teams into that chat window too, from a virtual perspective and connecting with those that they're prospecting to or those that they have relationships with right in in the event platform. Excellent. Well, I, I'm, I want to be conscious of your time. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up here. But before we do, we have like, uh, how would I, I would, I'm going to describe this as, and, and I'm not going to try to get us hit with any, tra- any trademark infringements here, but this is like, you know, James Lipton inside the Active Studio where they kind of fires off four or five questions at the end. Keep the answers as as brief or as long as you want to. So I'll uh, I'll fire them off and then we'll we'll officially wrap up here. So question one: What's the what is the hardest thing or part about what you do on a day to day basis? Prioritization. I think that there's a lot of things that you can do, but um, it's making sure that you're making the most impact. What is the, your favorite part or thing about what you do on a day to day basis? I, I think I talked about this before, but just the diversity of everything that we get to work on. It's, it's so much fun. Yep. If you could send a text message to every field marketer in the world today, what would it say? Text message, Slack, email, <laughs> doesn't have to be a text <laughs> message. Your preferred uh, form of communication. You got this. Honestly, we're all in it together. We're doing great. We will get, we will get through this. We will get back to live. Awesome. Uh, last two. What is we're gonna we're gonna we'll end it on a positive note. So, what is the worst event you've run? I don't I don't like the term worst, but what's the what's the event that when you think back to it, still kind of makes your skin crawl to a degree? The one that actually doesn't happen. I think that's the worst. So uh, it's it's happened numerous times. But when you don't have alignment with a local sales team, or you have something, and you don't have the audience acquisition that you need to run a successful event, and it mm-hmm. gets canceled. Yep. Yes, the worst. Yep. A lot of egg on the face. And so the last question. Let's let's end on a positive note. What's the what's the single best event that you've run? Oh gosh, there's so many. Fun ones. Uh, I I love our user conferences. So I would say that our last live user conference was probably one of my most favorite events that I've been a part of. And they're they're big, they're fun. There's a lot of different planning involved in it, and um, there's just so much impact that comes from it. So any event that has that large of an impact is just my favorite to be a part of. Awesome. Yep. User conferences. There's nothing like it. All right. Well, listen, I, I appreciate your time. Before we wrap up here, where can people follow you or find you online? You want to you give them your at least your LinkedIn handle? Yeah. 
I think I am probably one of very few LinkedIn <laughs> profiles for Risa Peterson. So you okay. can find me right on LinkedIn. <laughs> Honestly, that's uh, the platform that I use the most. I know I'm, I've tried to get into Twitter and all this other stuff, but LinkedIn is where I find I find most value. So that's kind of where I've been spending most of my time when it comes to thought leadership and connecting with my peers. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to tag that when this episode drops where they can find you on LinkedIn as well. But look, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate all the insights and being open, honest, and transparent with us on, on this episode of the true stories of field marketing. So thank you, Risa. And, and thank you, audience, for listening in. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you, Billy. Take care. True Stories of Field Marketing is a production of Splash, an event marketing platform that makes your events measurable, on-brand, beautiful, and easier than ever. You can enjoy True Stories of Field Marketing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. I am Billy Bonson. We'll see you next time.